Hey everyone, we want to welcome you to the Floater Founder Podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd and Lyson Casey. We are going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello everyone. And today we're interviewing Carrie Lynn McAllister, the founder and CEO of Pawsey. Hello. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for hosting us in the East Room today. Yeah, it's a cool space. Awesome. So um, tell us, what is Pawsey and where did the idea come from? Yeah, so I have two dogs, two Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Kingston and Kennedy and as a pet parent I was surprised by the lack of resources available online to research and compare essential pet care services such as vet vet care or pet insurance and then as a seasoned digital marketer I saw the need for an information hub and marketplace for the pet health industry. So Posy was born and Posy connects modern pet parents to the best advice and services. Our goal is to build lifelong relationships with pet parents as their trusted health and wellness advisor. That would be an amazing service to get to use. We've had those struggles where we're looking stuff up or even trying to compare vets nearby, and it's definitely not easy. No, you kind of have like Yelp and Google Local for uh, reviewing vets, and it has very limited information, and it's fragmented. Like, you know, it's difficult to find. Like, There's no fee guides for vets. There's... Uh, like two experiences that come to mind that really sparked this idea was my dog Kingston, like many small dogs, uh, needed some dental work because dental disease is, is prevalent among small animals. And it's a very expensive procedure if you need to get cleanings or extractions, they have to go under and and it can easily get to a couple hundred, a couple hundred thousand. <laughs> I was gonna say that would be extreme, uh, a couple thousand dollars. And so I thought it was worth price comparing dif- uh, different vets. And and so I called around and compared and and found differences of around five hundred dollars, uh, which is significant. And then the other thing that comes to mind is is the types of services that vets offer because some vet offices lack certain equipment or um, skills to be able to do certain procedures. So I was looking to get a laparoscopic spay, which is a less invasive uh, spay for my my other dog, Kennedy. And it was, I couldn't find out how how to connect with a vet that actually offered that service. And so my current vet didn't, and there was nowhere where I could look it up or nowhere that I could find and look it up. And I ended up getting a referral from somebody in the vet industry, but it was just, you know, it's just a broken process. Yeah. Oh yeah, we, we know we're, we're, we're dog parents as well. And, yeah. and, and, and trying to sorting everything out with the vets seems like, it's like so much more friction than it should be. Yeah. yeah, and you can't go without walking out with a bill of 
you know. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. And we've been through a lot of vets too because there's some where they've done something sketchy or they're, oh, or they're always trying to like sell you on, like upsell you on a bunch of their products that they're offering. And then you're like, well, now I don't trust this person with the health oh. of my, essentially my fur baby. <laughs> yeah, and no, exactly. They are your little fur children. So yeah. I, it would, a service like this is definitely needed and I can imagine it being very popular in Toronto. Yeah, no, it, it's um, it's interesting that you say that you sh- switched vets um, quite a bit. Because, We're crazy. Yeah, <laughs> no, but note. but you're not. No, but you're um, you're not alone. Like, th- there's been a major cultural and demographic shift with our generation, uh, which I like to call the modern generation, not millennials. <laughs> Um, in, in that we are delaying having kids or choosing not to have kids altogether, even delaying marriage or our partnerships and really view dogs and pets as our, as our children. And so with that, there's this level of intimacy with, uh, with our pets that didn't exist in previous generations. And so it's definitely a different type of pet owner than what we've seen before in in, in past generations. Yeah. Cool. So your background is in marketing. Yes. Um, how does that help you with uh, with with running running Posi? Yeah. So I my background's in marketing and specifically in search and uh, SEO and and marketplaces. So immediately when I see a lack of a marketplace for something I'm like oh this needs a marketplace <laughs> and it was obvious to me you know as a pet parent that there was a lack of marketplaces in certain areas in the in uh, the pet care space and yeah I've spent the last 10 years acquiring customers through search driven marketing and it's definitely a skill that I will be relying on and exploiting to uh, Posse's advantage. Um, I did a lot of keyword mining in doing research for Posse and and found that there were over 50 million dog-related searches just in Canada uh, on an annual basis. And a lot of it was focus around breed specific information and how to care for your specific breed. So there's differences in, in, you know, feeding your dog and, and, uh, the exercise that you need to get in training and their dogs actually have a different dog breeds have a multitude of characteristics, um, which we have captured into a a dog breed selector that we're going to be launching. Um, which is very data-driven. And I think there's 17 different characteristics that we looked at per breed, and and then we match people based on an interactive quiz, like what their ideal breed is based on their lifestyle and um, housing situation and, and, you know, what they're looking for in terms of companionship. That's cool. And in terms of keyword research, do you think this is something that kind of every founder should look into doing when they're starting a company? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that you say that because a lot of times I'll talk to people and they will say, well, my business doesn't relate to search. Um, 
You know, <laughs> now, but some are not obvious. So, like, if you are creating a new category, um, so let's take Well Simple for example, or a robo advisor. There's not a lot of searches for robo advisors. So, on the surface, you could think, oh, well, there's not the opportunity for a search-driven business here. But if you think about personal finance holistically and where Wellsimple helps people in terms of, of earning a return and, and saving RSPs, RESPs, uh, ETFs, like all of these are relevant search terms that Wellsimple, I'm sure, is exploiting to, to their advantage. Uh, but yeah, it's a, lo- a lot of business owners don't think about it and, and think about it more linear than they, they, uh, they can. And what are the steps a founder can do to um, think of their business in that way? Yeah, I, it's, it's so easy, actually. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that more people don't, don't actually you know, get into Google Keyword Planner and do the research. It's not that difficult. It's, you know, it's public access information and you just download things into spreadsheets and aggregate them and try to identify trends. And then from those trends, you can plan out your content strategy and landing pages and all these things. It's 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 really not complicated. Um, and Google is just such like a vast information of data and real sentiment data. So I don't know if you've read the book, uh, Everybody Lies. Yes, uh, I love that one. You read that one too that I gave to you, the one about the guy who looked at all the Google trends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have it was that. so fascinating. And what he, what he said about comparing Google data to survey data, which is self-reported data, is that people lie. And Google data reveals people's true intentions because they actually have an incentive to get that information. Like no one on a survey is going to admit that they're racist or or that they don't want to have kids. And these are all trends that he he identified through Google and talked about in the book. And and Google's just the best source of, of market research. Yeah. So um, I think personally, the, the I believe that people don't do that because they're enamored with their idea of what their product should be. And they're stuck in that personal bias. Yes. So how, how would you think, what's the best way to kind of kind of remove yourself from that personal bias and build something for everybody, not just kind of like for yourself? Yeah, it's, um, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, and you see that a lot where people have their personal experiences and their personal biases. And a lo- sometimes those experiences lead them to a very niche idea in a very niche industry and problem that they're trying to solve and there's an emotional attachment to that idea that they aren't willing to let go once they actually see that that idea is maybe not as big as they thought it was if you i guess it's just coming back to being very data driven in in and my original i've even pivoted before launching 
Posi.co based on market research. I originally wanted to connect connect uh, pet parents to reputable breeders because that was an experience that I had myself um, in in trying to identify what a reputable breeder was, how to connect w- with one, and uh, it's definitely a pain point that. I've experienced and many others that I've spoke to experienced and and the same with adoption agencies as well. Um, But in terms of monetizing that idea, there was a number of reasons that I foresaw it not working out. And there were other areas that I experienced as a pet parent um, that that actually did have more business opportunity and the healthcare space was the one that really stood out and I did a lot of market research before investing money and time into building something that was not going to (laughs) work out necessarily I wanted you know it's just so important to not especially when it's your own money and you're um it yeah, like who wants to waste money? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel really confident in in Posi, Posi's prospects as a business because the data supports that there is a need for for this service and that it's a big business. I, I can tell you from our personal experience, a, a veterinary marketplace, uh, I would use that 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I use marketplace. I or I, I try to use marketplaces for everything. I'm a, I'm an obsessive comparison shopper and researcher. So this is like what I do at night to wind down <laughs> from the, from the day. Is I will I will always be researching and comparing something, and and I always want to have the best. And uh, yeah, like I I don't know if it's a hobby to be a Googler, but. That- <laughs> It's one of my one of my hobbies is is uh, googling everything and anything. Sure. I mean, ninety percent of my job as a software developer is googling stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a question then. Um, so you own a hundred percent of your company. Uh, I have a business partner who uh, is owns a portion of it as well. And um, are you going to continue, you think, to fund it yourself, like do the MailChimp route and uh, continue to fund it as it grows? So we've, this is something that we've thought a lot about and we've been able to, between myself and my business partner, Rob, we'll be able to get a good head start on things with our own funding. And then the plan is to raise some angel, angel funding that will allow us to take advantage of the first mover opportunity that there is here uh, and get a head start. But then there's no immediate plans to continue to raise money after that. It's more just so that we can get a head start, build out a sustainable model that works economically and scale from there and, and reinvest profits into growth. Cool. And what has been the most challenging thing for you uh, starting this business? Oh, honestly, loneliness. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I get a lot of motivation from people and uh, starting it alone. I've been working with contractors who I speak with, 
you know, on a regular basis, but it's not the same as working alongside someone and putting together the founding team is, has really been a struggle. It's like dating and relationships. It's like trying to find the right person and, and connection and who share the same values as you and see the, the opportunity that exists in the business as well as, you know, personally. Um, it's yeah, like it, it, not only to gain the experience and, and complementary skills of the other founding team members, but also just having them around and not being lonely. No, yeah, it, it's always good to like have the support of other people. How have you been able to um, get that support if you've been able to from outside of it? Yeah, so my business partner, Rob, he has a full-time great job as a VP at a major insurance company and pet insurance is one of the areas that we're very interested in. Uh, and we meet on a weekly basis and, and go over high level stuff and, and make decisions together. And I've also put together, or we've put together an advisory board, which has been, uh, great to bounce ideas off of and, and, um, really in, in the different areas that we're operating in and the connections and experiences that they bring has been great. And some are very active, um, which is, which is good. So we've got somebody in the financial industry, somebody will Rob's an insurance. We've got a vet, uh, health professional and he's like the vet, his name is Walt, and he was the president of the World Small Animal Association, and he's, yeah, and he's a, <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, and he is just like the sweetest person, and he's a licensed vet in Canada and the U.S., and he's worked in, in pet insurance and pet pharma, and he's just been just a wealth of knowledge and connections, and, and then we have a technology and advisor and a marketing advisor, um, yeah, so I, I feel like I have colleagues, part-time colleagues that I can, can draw on, uh, which is, you know, has just been great. Um, and I think that a lot of founders are, keep equity very close to their, um, to themselves and and it's important to retain control of your business like don't get me wrong but in order to move the business forward you have to part with some equity that will allow you to make a bigger business like it's never just going to be an island of one like I'm not going to be able to do this all myself and we have to be able to compensate those people that help you build the business Absolutely. Um, so you've, you've had both the nine to five and running your own business. Uh, what do you like, what do you miss about having a job and in what ways is running your own business better than having a job? Well, I've never really had a nine to five, <laughs> to be honest, because I started out as part of the founding team of a company called ratehub.ca, which is a marketplace and comparison platform for financial products. And so it was, you know, I was the first employee and, and uh, it definitely wasn't a sort of nine to five kind of, kind of deal. And then I joined the cannabis industry, which was insane. 
and worked the most I've ever worked in my life. We were going, we were on the road to going public and you know, on legalization was coming up and, and was working from, you know, nine in the morning to midnight every day. And it was really a grind, unsustainable, as you can imagine. And so I've never really had that, uh, but I've, I've never been able, I guess, to benefit as the owner. So I've always worked as if I was an owner, but not with the upside. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's good to, it, it'll be good to be able to, to benefit from the fruits of my labor, I guess, is, is the difference, the main one. And also having more control, I'm very passionate and and um i'm not necessarily a controlling person or anything but it is nice at the end of the day to have the final say and and have control over the direction of the company um yeah which is great cool and uh speaking about like direction of the company um how can you tell when your direction, what you want to do, uh, is actually the wrong direction? And, and how can you kind of like process that? And because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we said you'll have this personal bias. Mm-hmm. So how can you how can you figure out if the direction that you've chosen is not the right one? And how do you move from there? Yeah, I'm, I've always had a collaborative approach to to leadership and and consider myself an infinite learner as well and always am asking people's opinions surrounding myself with people who know more than me and more experienced than me and you know bouncing the my ideas and biases off of them and really taking what they say into consideration with 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 my decisions uh i've i've definitely seen things play out with other companies where personal biases get in the way of good decision making for the company and and also ego as well and thinking that you know everything and and not googling (laughs) something at a very basic level or consulting experts or surrounding yourself with people who know more than you and it's just going to limit you professionally and also the growth of your company and I truly do believe that. No, absolutely. They say hubris is the biggest cause of companies failing. And what do you see now as the next steps um, for your launch and everything like that? Yeah, so the the next step, so we're recording this podcast pre-launch. Uh, we're m- mid-development of our uh, MVP or minimum viable product. Um, and we hope to launch in June. And then the plan is to promote it, gain traction. Um, we've partnered with a telehealth provider, vet telehealth service called Healthy Pets, which will allow people to uh, connect with a vet over video conferencing or text chat. And then the next phase, we'll be introducing some pet insurance comparisons. So we're going to test out both of the big areas in healthcare that we're interested in um, and then take that information and traction and, and build from there. And, and the after proving the, uh, the business model, that's when we plan to raise money and, and take that money and scale and get deeper into the healthcare space as well.
Yeah. Um, you were talking about how you're in the development of your MVP. Um, how do you know when the MVP is ready to <laughs> launch to the world? Uh, it's such like a balance because you have to, so many, so much has to be cut back in order to get something out quicker. And it's already been scaled back a few times. That doesn't mean the quality necessarily, but in terms of the features and functionality and everything. And I think it's really important to not try to build everything at once and not, it's not going to be perfect. And you have to, you have to know that. But I think a lot of that just comes from experience. You know, this, my, I've been a decade in tech and I've definitely seen it play out and I know that. And if I was a, a first time founder or person in tech, I guess it would, I might view it differently, but because I've seen it play out, I know that you have to make those trade-offs in order to get something out. And we've focused on building the demand side of the marketplace first in and customer and user acquisition. Uh, so that's where all of the keyword research and content planning came into play. And so we're going to be building up traffic and then, and then as we start to build traction, we're going to introduce more of the supply elements of the marketplace, like the insurance comparisons. Cool. Yeah, I know personally I've spent weeks working on a, on a feature uh, and then launching it only to find that nobody uses that feature. Yeah, exactly. That's what I love about Google data. Like I am, I, as I keep saying, I'm just obsessed with Google data. I know that millions of people are searching for this information. So let's just give them what they want. Cool. And what advice do you have for anyone listening that's thinking about starting their own business, but they're not sure? I think it's, people think about the upside more than the negative stuff that comes with starting a business. Everyone kind of wants side hustle and, and the sort of startup glamour of, of the business. And there's been a lot of wealth created through, through start successful startups, but there's a lot of failures and you have to know going into it if you have the grit and determination to make something happen. And that, I think, is really what is the most important thing, is, is grit. And being able to pivot when you need to and sustain a lot of heartaches and, and rejections and... and everything that comes along with building a business um yeah it's just grit i would just say you have to be a gritty person rapid fire move into the rapid fire questions oh oh is it like one word answers um (laughs) like short one sentence some people get very excited about a topic and they go on so feel free to do whatever works you did answer this at the beginning but it would be nice to have it all summarized what type of dogs do you have and what are their names so i have two cavalier king charles spaniels mouthful named kingston and kennedy and my husband and i both have names that start with a K, so we're the Kardashians of dogs. <laughs> and what is the best dog park in Toronto? 
Withrow Park. It's kind of the Trinity Bellwoods of the East, and uh, it's great. They've got, in addition to the dog park, they have um, an ba- area to play baseball, children's playground, everything, anything that's gated. If you're a dog owner, you want ga- generally you want a gated area because a lot of them are runners. Yes. Yeah, and much faster <laughs> than us. <laughs> And um, for you, what is um, like the, your favorite spot in Toronto? I really love Queen West. Like I just love walking along Queen West. And I used to live, I shouldn't admit this as an East Sider, but because I love shopping, um, I, yeah, I just love walking along Queen West and visiting the independent boutiques and, and uh, Trinity Bellwoods is there. Queen West is a really, I think even Vogue named it a, one of the best streets in the world or or something but yeah like queen east has has some work to do in terms of retail let's just say that yeah it's uh, (laughs) hard to compete with the queen west like the boutiques have moved more west over time like the bigger stores are like taking over but yeah yeah you kind of have to go closer to the trinity bellwoods area in order to get to the more independent stuff on the east side we have really good restaurants and bars like i I feel no need to go to the west side for that. And um, how do you start your day? I'm not a morning person, and I want to put that out there because you hear only... All successful people are morning people and work out and do all these things. Exactly. And, And I did some research on this. I'm like, this can't be the case, that all successful people... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is not a morning person. (laughs) I'm not a morning person, um, but I tend to work later. And uh, yeah, I usually start work around 10. And prior to that, I... I'm just, I'm honestly somebody who is so slow in the morning. I wake up and I take my time. I read the news. I feed my dogs. I'll play with my dogs. I um, will check my email, which is another thing they tell you not to do in the morning and before I start work. And, And honestly, that easing into things is... Yeah, like I, I, that's my routine. <laughs> I like that. That's, I also do the email check in the morning because I like to arrive at work with it like all under control. Yeah. And yeah, I don't do, we, neither of us, we like to work till like 3 a.m. rather than be yeah. up at like I, 6 a.m. I would like to be a morning person, but I'm just not. I know. In my head, I am, but I can't. <laughs> no, <do it. laughs> I, and I've tried many, many times over the years, like being the person who wakes up at 6 a.m. and works out and all these things. And it just, it's hard to build against your, sorry, to divert from like your natural chemistry. And um, what's your go-to morning coffee? So I love Starbucks. I'm not, I'm very basic, I know. <laughs> but I, I love Starbucks for a number of reasons, like one being like the, the, um, the customization of drinks and I have, you know, my special order. But I also just love Starbucks as a company and uh, what they stand for in terms of their how they've ingrained social responsibility into their into their culture and Starbucks makes a point to treat their employees really well. What is the last if you listen to podcasts? What's the last one that you listen to? Oh, I love the Masters of Scale podcast, um, which is uh, the host is 
the founder of LinkedIn, Reed Hoffman, and he knows everybody in the Valley and all like just one of the most well-connected people in tech. So he gets the best interviews. Very cool. And um, what's your favorite thing that you do to relax? <laughs> um, I actually, this is like, I don't have a problem relaxing, uh, like investing in, in, you know, alone time or whatever, because a lot of people are, don't take the time to, to do that. But I think when you don't have kids and you have your fur babies, it's you don't you, you have a little bit more independent time. And uh, yeah, what do I, I love to watch The Bachelor? <laughs> and I also really love to go to the spa. <laughs> Those are, I think, my two two uh, favorite things: is is Bachelor and spa spa. Watching The Bachelor at the spa would be like the dream. I haven't found that yet, but. What is the best place you've ever traveled to? Oh, Italy for sure. And I've been, but there's still so many places that I want to go. Like I've been to Southeast Asia and Bali is like a close second. I love Bali. Um, but yeah, Italy just is the best. Like the food and the landscape the different types of landscapes like Tuscany with like all of you know the the cool roads and and small towns and then you've got the Amalfi Coast uh, which is a completely different type of landscape and just it's beautiful but I really I'm going to Iceland in a couple weeks with my dad and so you know might be a different answer after I come back from there because it looks absolutely stunning Um, and I've always wanted to go to South Africa and um, I haven't been anywhere in South America. So I feel like there's like so many places I haven't been that, but as of right now, Italy for sure. Uh, who was your favorite teacher? There were a couple influential teachers I had. Um, one in elementary school, um, Mrs. Kenny, who was, I don't, she was kind of just like a boss lady and, and <laughs> And uh, was the first time that I, I got exposed to that type of personality. Uh, my mom's just like very sweet and and uh, accommodating and 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 Miss Kenny just wasn't. <laughs> like she was a nice woman, don't get me wrong, but she also was just like in charge and all this stuff and and she kind of whipped me into shape. like I was I was um, I was a bit of a clown and like, at, uh, at a young age and like always like dressing up and like telling jokes and whatever and like I didn't find some of the work that challenging <laughs> and so <laughs> I uh yeah she was just like she challenged me which was good and then uh in high school there was um a bi- biology teacher and uh, Mrs. Ha- uh, Ms. Han who who also really influenced me. I guess like female female teachers that that uh, really supported me and and um, yeah, like made me push my limits and and made me think differently and bigger. Um, what is the uh, your favorite app on your phone? I'm on Instagram a lot. Cool. What is the last TV show you binged? <sighs> Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> 
you'll see you'll see a theme here: The Bachelor and Love Island. It's the last movie you watched. Probably to all the boys I've loved before. I'm such. A, <laughs> I know. I'm such like. I just love love stories, and this and this, again, embarrassing teen teen young adult fiction turned into a movie on Netflix. If you haven't watched it and you love like teen movies, like you know, Sixteen Candles or like Mean Girls or whatever, um, it's really great. <laughs> I've watched it multiple times. I actually can't even remember the last movie I watched, but I just am, if we're going to look at it in terms of um, percentage likelihood, it would be that movie just because I've watched it the most. <laughs> cool. And what's the last book you read? I tried to get through um, this business book, which was Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, but the last business book that I read and liked was the Everybody Lies one. And in ter- and I'm always, I switch off between like serious business books and then I have like sort of a rotation of three types of books. I'll do a business book and then there's usually a serious novel that's like an autobiography, uh, a biography or autobiography of some sort I really like. And then just like trashy novels that, you know, either like suspense based one, like Girl on a Train or uh, just like a love trashy, <laughs> trashy novel. I have a large collection of those. Who's the coolest person you've ever met? I met Ryan Gosling, <laughs> and I and uh, yeah, I had a major. It was like you know, post Notebook, and yeah. And who's the best boss you've ever had? Uh, Alyssa, who was the CEO at Rate Hub. And what was your first job? On Wolf Island, where I grew up, uh, we were expected to work from a very young age. <laughs> So uh, it's actually even hard to remember. I was always, uh, I worked, I babysat. I worked at the general store um, as a cashier. I worked for the Wolf Island Tourism Bureau. Like basically, you know, whatever jobs there were available on Wolf Island (laughs) was something that I did. And where in the world is Wolf Island? <laughs> uh, so it is the largest of the Thousand Islands, which is close to Kingston. So uh, I did go to elementary school on Wolf Island, but uh, in high school we commuted by ferry every day to high school in Kingston. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy way to grow up for sure. Thank you so, so much for having us here and for letting us interview you. This has been a lot of fun, um, a lot of really good insights, too, into being a founder. So thank you. Yeah, and thank you for uh, having me on and also supporting uh, Posi and Women in Tech and all these things. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until Until next time. time.